True mental toughness is the ability to keep taking action when all hope seems lost. Welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now here's your host, three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kozowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Millionaire Women's Show, where I bring you guests from around the world that are going to inspire, motivate you, and also educate you on a few things so you can move into action. Today's guest is Tootie Takerly. She's an executive leadership coach, a professional speaker, supporting CEOs and tech leaders to embrace their unique leadership style to achieve professional impact. She's previously spent 22 years as a design leader at design firms, startups, and large companies, including Disney and Facebook. Tootie grew up in seven countries on three continents and is settled in San Francisco as her home base. She spends her time parenting two spirited girls, obsessively reading and paddling out for the next wave. Please welcome Tootie Tagerly to the Millionaire Woman Show. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Deborah. Always sounds a little funny to hear that, but also lovely, right? <laughs> yeah. And you know, you put in the work, you might as well be celebrating it, right? I, th I think we don't celebrate enough of some of these accomplishments and achievements. Oh, I completely agree with you. I work with a ton of high achievers and so many of us, I don't know if you've ever gotten a performance review and you flip, 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 flip. You don't care about what's on page one, page two, page three, page four. You're like, where is the critical feedback? Where's the grind, the stuff I need to improve and change? And all too well, we do not stop and celebrate. We're just moving on to that next goal and huh, a stigma, I think, of hyperachievers. So wonderful to be able to stop and celebrate with you for a minute. Awesome. You know, Tootie, we were talking about, you know, that pattern of high achievement. And when people want to be high achieving, I, I know it's like they can run to the back to see the areas of growth flipping through those pages. But when we get caught up in the busyness, we tend to lose sight of what we're actually wanting to achieve. Yeah. So I'd love for you to speak to a little bit more about the more of that balance between being and doing and how you can still be a high achiever. Absolutely. And I take us back a little bit, you know, as, as kids and I, I'm Thai Chinese. So I had a very Asian tiger mom and I was brought up to really value all those gold stars you collect in school. I knew that I was supposed to be a quiet, good student just a good listener. And I love collecting all those gold stars, all those grades, all those everything, because I wanted, I wanted to make my mom proud. I wanted to make my parents proud. And then somewhere along the line, I got really stuck in this pattern of, all right, what's that? I need to be valedictorian. I need to get into this school. I need to get work at these top name brand companies and keep ascending that career ladder. And I would say that for many people, this is a beautiful, wonderful path. I think for me, I was stuck almost in robotic zombie mode 
running, running, running to do more. You know, that feeling when you've just got that to-do list and you want to check everything off and hit all those big goals and the company's OKRs. And at some point in time, I realized I was running and achieving simply for the sake of achieving and not anything else. I'm curious, was there a certain certain life event that happened for you to slow down and there actually were, there was, um, there was, I would say the worst year of my life that happened. I think it was, uh, I think it was about three or four years ago and, you know, crises happen and they have us change and learn and grow for it, but it's so painful to go through. Um, in the, in the course of that year, uh, my father-in-law passed and he had been battling cancer for some years, but I had known him since I was 18. And he, he felt like my American father without all the strings from, you know, growing up and battling your parents. Um, and then a couple months after that, my kid's dad and I decided to separate and divorce. And, you know, I'd been with him since I was 18 and we had two kids in, in elementary school. And then the third thing that happened in the course of that eventful, very eventful year was my father passed. There's three big things. And I think at first I just didn't even want to grieve. I just want to keep on going, you know, use my work as an armor. Just I've always had some workaholic tendencies, but I think the, all three of those together, as well as the need, the desire to really focus on stability for my daughters, that all helped me look a lot more inward. And that is what prompted me to leave my, my corporate career after 22 years, because I wanted something else. I wanted something different. Um, and I was struggling with some ethics of working at Facebook, uh, which was my last corporate job at the time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's been, I'd say this is probably the start of a lifelong process where I turned towards coaching. I got my own coaches. I spent a lot of time introspecting about what it was that I really wanted, as well as spending the time to grieve, making the space to consider how I wanted to spend my life professionally and how I wanted to spend uh, the time with, with my girls. And that there's not one common answer for everyone, but I think my life was so balanced. If you imagine a teeter-totter between being and doing, all I was doing was doing, running just for the sake of busyness. So I needed to, I'd say I'm still tipped on the side of doing, but it's a little more balanced to consider a lot more about what fulfills me. I don't know about you, but I find that when I hit adversity, the number one go-to is let's keep everything the same. If if I can keep everything the same, I'm going to be okay. And I find that there comes a certain point where that only works to a certain extent and then it's like okay you can't keep doing you have to be forced into being and be in that position to go inward just like you said yeah so i know whenever i hit adversity and there's a new direction for me to go my first reaction is pure resistance it's that no i don't wanna and it's just that tenseness as as you were talking about just You want to control it. You want to keep doing the same things. And I've learned to kind of feel that now. Just notice really, and working with my clients to do, notice what do you have the strongest reactions to? Both the positive strong reactions. Oh, that would be really cool. That one might be a little easier. And then the negative resistance. I would never do that. 
Because I think like those extremities of emotion and noticing that those feelings in your body, that's a little bit of starting to name that being bit. And then what I found with a lot of my clients, because I work with a lot of intense driven people, eventually you move through the resistance, through that first initial thing that you were describing, that push, and then that eases, and then perhaps it opens up a new perspective and a new direction. So what has resistance taught you? I think similar to what you were talking about, it's, it's, it's the adversity. Like for me, I, I almost follow the path of resistance now, like that there's something interesting there. There's like a spark, there's some energy, there's some creativity, there's something interesting there. So let's investigate it a little more. It's really about being curious, just like you said, you know, investigating in it. And it is kind of like, it's like, why am I feeling this way? What, Mm -hmm. what is this resistance trying to teach me as I move forward? Now, when you are thinking about helping individuals move through some of that resistance, are you spending time helping them get creative with their thinking or thinking creatively? Yeah, I'd say I love the flip of the two. I'd say it's it's both. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of the way that I did my work when I when I worked at startups and design firms was I would be chartered. My team and I would be chartered with coming up with the next big creative solution. We would work for the world's top brands and be asked to figure out what's the future direction of autonomous vehicles or connected homes or where is that going in, you know, three, five, 10 years. Um, And I did some of that new type of work, forward-looking work for new products for Facebook as well. And I think one of the things that you really have to be able to do is to envision wild, wacky, crazy ideas. And the design process, um, which is what leads to thinking creatively, I think is based on a couple of things. The first is curiosity, deep, deep curiosity for, oh, how might people interact with cars in a different way? How might people want, have needs and wish to have these things just happen in a connected home? What would it be like if uh, we could connect with people over certain types of video and fandoms in ways that's never happened before? And I think being curious and asking, asking questions, not coming to solutions, asking questions opens up possibility. And the path, I believe, of creativity is a path that is divergent and convergent. So opening and closing, opening and closing. And we've all heard of brainstorming. And sometimes there's kind of a, a punch in the gut when you hear that because you're like, oh my God, I don't want to do that again. We've been, well, we've all been in terrible brainstorms. And I would say even coming up with terrible ideas, the volume of it shifts your brain. It shifts your brain to being like silly, to groaning, to being like, oh my gosh, I'm going to throw out another bad idea. And eventually when you get to the 30th, 40th, 50th idea, you're like, huh, maybe there's something in it. And the divergence is the opening up to possibility and perspective. And then you kind of focus. You're like, oh, let's pick this one. Let's try and do something with this. Might be bad, might be good. Let's try it. Let's run an experiment. And I think the magic of this creativity is you keep repeating this over and over again, opening up to perspectives, focusing on a thing to try and experiment with. And they could all be bad. 
But if you keep repeating that, you're going to get to something good, which is, I believe, trusting the process of creativity. Well, I always believe that there's a golden thread to that, what has gotten you to the position you are right now, different life events, different, you know, employers that you've worked for. And I'm, I'm curious to ask, because when someone throws out this big creative idea, I would believe that the word impossible is not an option. You know what? I love the word impossible. Um, one of my mentors and, and former coaches would always talk about what's your impossible dream? You know, another one of my friends um, works at a company called Impossible Labs. And I was just speaking to, to a client earlier this week about 50-50 goals. So, um, and this is something that comes up in, in, in tech companies, which is when you set goals for, for the year, for the business, whatever, and you have these particular goals, they're 50-50 because you should only be able to achieve about 50% of them. Like if you actually went through the year and hit every single one of your goals, they were actually too small. So I love the word impossible because it pushes, it pushes the boundaries of the thinking a little bit to be like, what, what would you call something that was impossible? And then I think your point, which is spot on, is that, well, really, is it? Is it impossible? You know, let's not rein ourselves in first. Let's go impossible and then, and then figure out what happens from there. So I love that word. I, I love, I've never heard like 50-50. I think that's amazing in knowing that if you achieve 50%, you're winning, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, even if you didn't achieve 50%, you, you still put out some impossibility for you to stretch toward already, as long as it's still your passion, right? To continue on and stretch toward to see what am I capable of? What is this company capable of? What can I do for this organization? So really yeah. from that design thinking, what makes the design thinking so unique when it comes to supporting your clients? Ah, funny. Some parts of me are like, you know, I don't even know if any of this is unique because it's a process that I think works. You could call it a version of it, the scientific method, trying something, iterating and trying again. And I think part of it is where it hits with coaching is knowing that you are on a long, long journey. And where you are in that journey is going to shift based on the context of your life. So many of us in, um, in our 20s may be more driven to build a career or to figure out even what we're passionate about. And things might slow down a little bit or when, when there's kids or partners and things might change differently too in a different way when we have to deal with aging parents. So a lot of it for me is things can shift and you can call that the design process because there's some creativity and some thinking, but you could also call it a scientific process. And that can be applied, I guess, to, to different ways in coaching. And I may have deviated a bit from your question, but that's, okay. <laughs> that's how it goes. So I'm going to throw in the wrench that, you know, the hard skills that are hard to develop, but they're actually the soft skills. So when you think about creativity and thinking, how does one, you know, really manage their emotions when they're dealing with adversity or, you know, they're moving toward that impossible goal that they only are the only people who can see that vision? So 
Are you talking about how can they bring other people along for the ride, or how do you manage no, your own emotions and own emotions, knowing that you know they're working at thinking creatively, they're also creatively thinking, and the emotions are getting involved. Um, not only for themselves, but they're recognizing that perhaps other people don't see what they see. Mm-hmm. How do we move through to yeah. get to the other side when you have, you know, doubt imposed on you mm-hmm. or naysayers around you? I would mm-hmm. love to hear your thoughts on that. Super hard. I think there's doubts on, I'd say, three levels. One is internal self-imposed. The other is other people around you. And the third might even be the system that, that you exist within. So I think I'll, I'll talk about the three levels because I, I think a lot in systems and frameworks. First of all, we all have self-doubt and self-sabotaging behavior. We all have those voices in our head that's like, what? You only did that? That other person has done this much. It's like, oh, you think that was good enough? Like, all of these voices and chatter, our self-critics are in our head. Something that I work with a lot of my clients on is identifying those voices, identifying where and who they might've come from. Some of mine come from my mom when I was young and recognizing that they are simply a number of different voices that are there. They're not truth. They're not reality. They're voices and different options. And you could choose to hear other voices the voice of your best friend, the voice of a mentor, the voice of a leader that you admire. And it's simply listening to a bevy of your voices and you pick which one to, to listen to. It's like, a, I don't know if you've heard the term of people having a personal board of directors. Uh, and I talk about these as like your internal board of directors. You have a bunch of voices. They show you options on the table and part of them can be emotional, like super dealing with grief or sadness or shame, whatever that is, those are simply voices there. They exist, they be, they sit at the table and you choose which one to go forward with. So I think that's one way that's very internal focused. And it's interesting because we tend to default to the negative versus the positive, the encouraging. I like how you said, you know, think of what your best friend would say or your you know, greatest supporter, your cheerleader. They wouldn't be saying those things. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's where you have to start. You have to start as a leader to lead yourself through the path. You can acknowledge that here's some voices of doubt and here's some here's an acknowledgement of the risks that are ahead, but it's first doing that for yourself. And I think that's the first path to bringing other people along for the ride. Yeah. And then you talked about, you know, the external, like you have the environment, you know, mm-hmm. impact it as well. A lot of it, because I think you were talking about soft skills and things before, is that many people who I work with, um, when they're early on in their career, they developed a lot of hard skills. They got really good at coding or sales or recruiting or being a, a product manager. And they built themselves up by being this really fantastic individual contributor. Um, their, their currency was their performance, the PowerPoints they produced, the reports they did, all of that, the code that they wrote, the features they shipped. But as you shift um, and become more tenured in your career, where you're having large teams, multiple teams, or even if you're an individual contributor with a lot more influence, I think the shift comes from this performance currency of what you do to a deeper type of relationship currency. At that point, it's about 
who do you build trusting partnered part trusting partnered partnered deeply partnered relationships with whether that's to your boss and leadership whether that's to the peers and different orgs you have to work with because you can never work alone or whether it's with with your team it's the you, i think you mentioned it as soft skills but it really truly is building trust and honoring those relationships i think that's what that's what fulfills us as humans both at the workplace and outside and you know that's so important because when we go back to celebrating the wins what is our currency what is the currency that moves us and drives us and you know there's often especially early in career and some people still need it is that external validation to prove their worth their meaning and significance in the work that they do um what has been your take in helping people realize that they can have a different currency? Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I think external validation is fantastic. Sometimes I think in our industry, we can be like, oh, you know, no, no, you shouldn't just listen to what other people think. But to me, it's all input. It's a form of feedback. It lets you know that, oh, okay, that, that thing I did, other people liked it. It's very human. It's very validating. Um, so I'd say keep that, but it may be the balance not to be a hundred percent focused on that. Cause that can be really dangerous. You can't control all the external validation, whereas you can focus on what it is that fulfills you. And what you can also focus on is not necessarily your boss giving you a promotion or your boss agreeing that you have fulfilled all of these expectations and are ready to move to that next level to report to the CEO maybe, or to get that VP or director title. But instead it's about both the relationship and also what is it that you want to to learn? It's less about, of course, the title is nice to get, but it's also, hey, if you were to act as this director already, how would things shift? How would your the way you build your relationships shift? How would the way that you talk to your teams shift? How would the ways that you choose to do these projects and create partnerships shift? So I think that little shift of thinking is a little bit of currency that can help people. And I I like how you say that, take it all in. Because especially when you get validated externally, when you think you didn't do a good job, it's a course correct to, maybe I need to reevaluate my own thinking about my own performance. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm not being you know, as realistic or compassionate to myself as I should be when others around me think I'm getting the results that I am getting. Absolutely. And sometimes I work with these high performers who they've gotten so used to beating themselves up that when they hear praise from other people, they don't believe it. You know, someone will say, oh, you're doing really great at this. You, you know, you're ready to move to the next level. And they'll be like, oh no, 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 I don't quite believe that. And one of, the, um, one of my other teachers, uh, Shirzad Shamin, really talks about paying attention to interactions and emotions and feelings to be how many of them are positive versus how many of them are negative. Mm-hmm. So for example, something like curiosity is kind of open, wondering, like if you get some negative feedback or some harsh critical feedback, you can be like, okay, you know, maybe some of that is true. What might I do differently? It could hurt, but there still is a feeling of, okay, this is some positive progression, as opposed to taking this feedback and being like, 
oh my God, I'm terrible. Just like that self beating that, oh, I'm so stupid. Why did I do that? And so it's really paying attention to when you take in a, an external, I want to say a neutral event, just a piece of feedback, you know, maybe, uh, maybe that presentation that you have, you did could have been a little bit more clear. Maybe it could have explained where we were going, um, in a little bit more, uh, depth so that people understood what that was. That's a neutral piece of feedback. You can take that and interpret it positively or negatively. And that's a little bit of the shift, I think, into some more of this, um, this currency. That currency is so valuable because when, when you know how to use the feedback that you're getting or the validation or, you know, whatever form of currency that is for you, then you can use it to your advantage to take leaps and bounds in your business, your life, mm -hmm. your organization. And it goes back to that 50-50, those goals that you talk about, because then you can manage the currency yeah. of what you're going to, you know, use as that marker of success. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the th other things I learned from one of my clients, which I absolutely loved, she, she'd been working in corporate for many years and decided to leave the corporate world and start her own startup. Um, and one of the things that has always stuck with me is that, you know, she's said things like, oh, I'm not quite sure what I want to do. I might pursue the startup. I might go back to business school, but these are the goals that I'm going to set and I'm going to check in with myself and my, my inner wise leader, the part of you that really knows because I can change my mind. And I love that part. You can change your mind, set the goals, know where you're going, but if they're not serving you anymore, know that you can change your mind. You know, that's brilliant because I know how many people won't even step forward into their goal unless they know it's going to work and, or they're not sure about the choice that fork in the road and they forget that they're still in charge and that they can change their mind. Whereas the reality is some people stand paralyzed at the fork. And because um, I, I also support some people who are in career transition and interviewing. And part of it, I'm like, you don't have to make this choice right now, unless you have an offer in hand, and you're trying to decide if you're going to take the offer or stay. It's simply exploration, you don't have to make the choice at the fork, you can simply take a little step forward here, take a little step forward there, start talking to other people, start exploring your options. And it's all research and getting more data and getting more information. And it's kind of taking things one step at a time. Yeah. You know, I was watching the movie, um, the holiday yesterday, and I, and I have to go back and watch. There's a certain part where the producer writer says um, to Kate Winslet, who's you know, in a relationship dilemma. And he says, you need to be acting like the leading lady, not mm -hmm. the basically the follower or believing something that you're not. You need to, you know, see your worth and what you, what you deserve. And ultimately, you know, you, you talked about, you know, acting, are you acting as if you are that leader you want the promotion for? So I think when I think about that positioning is, are you showing up as that leading person, the leader of your own life to really move forward into achieving those goals that you set for yourself? Yeah, I think that's beautiful. That's a beautiful analogy. Um, one of my other teachers talks, uh, Rich Litvin talks about goals being a place to come from, not a place to get to, oh, you know, I, 
um, some people that I work with have monetary goals for their business, you know, to hit a million or whatever it is. But rather than having that be the goal you're aiming towards, maybe that's an appropriate uh, example given the title of your podcast. What would it look like if you already acted as if you already were a millionaire? Yeah. So the Millionaire Woman Show, just to put it in context for everybody who's listening and watching, it's not about reaching a million dollars. It's about living rich from the inside out. So it speaks exactly to the values um, that you are striving toward. But I love how it's goals you come from. Can you just expand on what what you mean by come from? Well, I love that explanation too, because... So many people might think I want to be a millionaire. And if someone hears that, your first thought is, okay, that means I need to have a million dollars. But what if you already were the millionaire? What does that mean to you in terms of richness, of life, of time, of relationships, of all of that? And that really shifts that that goal of, say, defining yourself as a millionaire or that goal of saying, I want to be that director. It's the shift of what if you already were the director? How would you act differently? Come from having already achieved that goal. And how does that that knowledge, that being, that confidence of being already being that person, kind of like your Kate Winslet example, how would that shift the way you, you view things, the actions that you might take, the choices that you might make? You show up differently because later on in the movie, I'm not going to, you know, be a spoiler, but she realizes, you know, her worth and what she deserves. And she just steps into saying what her peace of mind to the people who have not, who have been taking advantage of that. Right. So I, I think there's moments where we need to stand up within ourselves to stay true to what we believe. And I, like you said, you know, if you truly were that person already, are your actions, your behaviors aligned with who you want to show up as? And that's how it's going to, you know, puzzle piece into that 50-50 goal. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yep. Completely agreed. Really excited because you shared with me that you were a surfer. Yeah. I would love to just have one or two things of how your surfing has helped you move through resistance Mm. and uh, step into your leadership. No, I love that. Thank you. And so let me tell you a little bit about, about surfing because uh, surfing has been the one thing in my life that I picked up in my late 20s, had a long break when I had kids, small kids being pregnant, not quite suited to surfing. But it's the one thing in my life where I've been able to drop the need to be an achiever and be the best at it because I'm a pretty bad surfer, but I love doing it. And there's something magical when you're actually able to drop the expectations and simply do things for the sheer love of the sport. So I've, that's been this amazing, beautiful constant through, through my adult life that has really made me feel the most alive. And the other thing I wanted to say about it is that many people have a vision of surfing. And I know that Maybe a lot of the the world watched a lot more surfing during this past uh, Olympics, this past summer Olympics. And when you think of surfing, you think of, you know, a person up on the board, riding, carving the waves and just like up and riding. And the reality is 
um, if you're out surfing for, let's say a two hour session, you know, 120 minutes, you're actually up and riding on the board, maybe 10 or 10 seconds, maybe 20 seconds. Instead, what you spend most of the time doing is taking little steps. You're paddling. You're spending a lot of time paddling in the water to get through the waves to position yourself. And you're also spending a lot of time sitting. You're sitting and you're waiting. And imagine being out in the middle of the ocean. It's You can hear the surf. You're bobbing up and down. There's, um, there's birds around. There's often you know, sea life around. And what you're doing as you're sitting is you're scanning the horizon because waves come in sets and you want to look at the horizon to see what is the next wave that's coming in because you want to paddle for it and take off on it. And you miss a lot of them. You mi- or, and I miss a lot of them, but even the, the professionals miss a lot of them. So what I love about this is that, you know, there's just that brief fleeting moment of glory. And instead, it's a lot of waiting, a lot of patience, a lot of being and putting in the time to do, take your steps, to do the, the, do the paddling, to get yourself into shape. So I think I went on quite a bit there, but I really feel that there's a lot of metaphors in there that have taught me how to be more patient, taught me to, you know, simply just go out, go out in the morning and clear my head and make space and keep continuing, keep paddling with the process. I love that analogy. It's beautiful. And that's how we move through resistance is being patient with ourselves and to keep moving, just like you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You just kind of keep on going through it. And then one day it won't feel like so much resistance. This has been a beautiful interview. I want to thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and uh, what a, a very creative approach um, throughout the interview. So I, I want to thank you for that. Most of all, Tootie, I would love for you to share with us a book that has impacted you or inspired you to do the work that you do and who you are. So one of the books that I, I love is called Never Split the Difference by Chris Boss. And he is a former FBI negotiator. So you kind of think that this is going to be like some hard charging guy because he has some amazing stories in there of negotiating with, with terrorists and different, you know, different members of other organized crime groups. But what I love about this and the stories make it interesting and entertaining because I think books should always entertain and not just be dry because that's how we learn is the stories. What I love about the threads through this is circling back to what we were talking about earlier. It's about the relationships. It's about the listening and the curiosity and truly understanding what the person on the other side wants, what they care about, what motivates them and activating that sense of curiosity. So even in these lessons of negotiation from what you think would be this hard-nosed FBI hostage negotiator, it's really about the relationships, the connection. And I think that's a lot of the that's a lot of the approach and the path to leadership. Excellent. So how can people stay in touch with you? And you can always find me at my website. It's tootietagerly.com. Um, and I also have a book out called Make Space to Lead that pulls a lot of these creative ideas um, into a framework 
a way for people to work through these exercises at home. And it's things that I've worked through with a lot of my clients. And you can find that at makespacetolead.com. Awesome. Thank you. And I'll have everything in the show notes. My final question for you is what does it mean for you to live rich from the inside out? I love that question. I'm so excited about it. I think for me, it's knowing that the richness that you feel in the inside out can change and can shift. And sometimes it may be going for the money. And other times it may be the relationships, the partner, the children, the friendships. And another time it may be your fulfillment and purpose of your career. But all the, the thread all through it is knowing what it is that really fuels you and motivates you and energizes you for that particular, I don't know, minute, day, that season of your life. But always like, always checking back in to that inside out kernel of what would it feel like to live rich today? Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, If you were to leave, one or two messages that you would like to leave our audience with from today's interview, what would that be? So one of my most favorite quotes is from this gentleman named Mike Vance, who was the Dean of Creative Thinking at at Disney for many, many years. And his quote is, slowing down is sometimes the best way to speed up. So many driven, high achievers, we just think we got to grind, 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 run, 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 push, push, push. But it's in the slowing down. It's in the making space. It's in the accepting that sometimes a creative idea needs a day or two or a week or even years to emerge. So I want to leave people with that quote. Slowing down is sometimes the best way to speed up. That's awesome. Thank you. And that's so, so true. (laughs) Slowing down. And because you're waiting for that spark of wisdom. And I know we could continue talking um, for hours, (laughs) but I have to wrap us up. Thank you so much for joining us on the Millionaire Woman Show. I'd love for you all to also go over to my website at www.debrakasowski.com. That's Kasowski with an S. That's D-E-B-R-A-K-A-S-O-W-S-K-I.com, where you can get your three-part video course of Making Habits Stick available for a limited time because we're going to be switching things up. Now, I will have information for for Tootie in the show notes so that you can reach out to her at any time. And we would love for you to rate, review, hit the bell, subscribe, so you don't miss a single episode. And if you're listening to this on podcasts, you probably have to listen to it again so you can take notes depending on where you are in the world. As Mohammed Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And on behalf of Tutti and myself, go out and make today great. 